Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome, welcome to another edition of The Waggle podcast brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca and myself, Donovan Bennett. Thank you again for joining us. And we're going to continue our preview of teams. We find ourselves on the east side of the east, breaking down the Alouettes and the Ottawa Red Blacks, who had very, very different seasons the last time we saw them in 2019. They both came into the year with lots of change, lots of turnover, and not a lot of expectations. And despite that, Montreal, who probably had even less expectations than Ottawa did, was ascending thanks to the leadership of Kari Jones and Vernon Adams. People we probably wouldn't have talked about much in a preview of that season. However, Ottawa, the exact opposite happened. They didn't have much consistency in their quarterback room, thus didn't have much success on the field. But maybe given the low expectations for Ottawa this year, they can be the Montreal of 2021. We'll see. To break it down and maybe figure all of that out, we're talking to Tim Baines of Post Media about the Ottawa Red Blacks and Joey Alfieri of TSN 690 Radio about the Owls. Let's start off in the nation's capital with Tim Baines. So, Tim, talk to me about, I suppose, the psyche and feeling about this Red Blacks team going into this season. The last time we saw them play, the season was a while ago, so many forget, but it was forgettable. They've had some time since it, but there's been lots of transition, both with the coaching staff and the roster. What is the mood in the nation's capital now that football is coming back? Well, I think there's a mood of hope. <laughs> Certainly, uh, the, the mood of hope starts with the fact that we're actually going to get football back, not only in the nation's capital, but across the league. But that 3-15 and season in 2019, I think, still resonates, even through uh, a year absence, a, a cancelled season. There's still a feeling of, of what the hell just happened. There's a feeling of unfinished business. And uh, certainly with a lot of new players uh, on the roster, a new head coach, often new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. Right now, we're going into the great unknown. But again, uh, I think a feeling of hope. Yeah, it is a bit of the unknown because the Redbacks quickly became one of the model franchises, if not in the East, but in the entire league. And then you have such a difficult year. And now we're really looking at this franchise moving forward and wondering, well, was that the Rick Campbell model, which he's now leaving? Or was that the institutional uh, legacy and understanding of what the Red Blacks franchise is going to be like? What is it going to be like for the first time ever without Campbell being a part of the process of everything that the organization does? Yeah, certainly a whole new culture around a new coaching staff. But but for, for the Ottawa Red Blacks, nothing has really ever come easy. If you look at uh, their Grey Cup season uh, in 2015, they get to the Grey Cup. Uh, arguably the best team they've had did not win in that Grey Cup championship. 2016, uh, a difficult at times season. They come through, when it counts, in the playoffs, uh, win the Grey Cup. And then they get another shot at the Grey Cup. And again, it's really never been easy for them. And, and to their benefit, they play in, in an East Division that for a number of years certainly doesn't appear uh, as strong as the West. But again, with new coaches coming in, 
new culture. We'll see what happens. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it is. Anytime you change over a coach, there's a, there's a new offensive scheme, a new defensive scheme, and, and a new way of thinking. So getting back to that great unknown, I guess we'll have a better handle on that once we get through a training camp that we're all looking so much forward to. New coach and also new quarterback. And one of the most puzzling things for me when we look back to you know their struggles a couple of years ago was they were really going into a season without a proven starting quarterback. And the current trend in the CFL is to fill your quarterback room with as many proven signal callers as you can because you might lose one or two throughout the season. The team who hoisted the Great Cup, Winnipeg, being a great example. Since they've played quarterback musical chairs a little bit with the Argos and now have Matt Nichols in the fold, what are your expectations of addressing that need to get better in their quarterback play? Certainly they took a big gamble. Uh, they believed Dominique Davis could be a starting quarterback in the league. They moved on from Trevor Harris. And, I mean, really that didn't sit well with a lot of people in our nation who had seen too many good key players move on to other teams. Greg Ellingson, Sir Vincent Rogers. Uh, the loss of their starting quarterback certainly was a tough pill to swallow. Uh, Dom Davis, <laughs> I mean, to his, to his credit, they didn't really have an offensive coordinator per se that, that year, which I think affected things as well. But certainly didn't meet expectations. Now we move on. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to try Matt Nichols, and we'll see how that goes. Certainly, he's familiar with the Paul LaPolice offensive scheme, which is a bonus. Uh, can he stay healthy? Is his core of receivers good enough? There are just a lot of questions, probably more so with the Ottawa Red Blacks than any other team in the CFL heading into this training camp. Well, you mentioned receivers, and they lost a, a big one. And if you had a Mount Rushmore of, you know, the red-black era, as, as short as it is, it would probably have on it Henry Burris and for Campbell and Brad Sinopoli. And all three are gone, but Sinopoli retires, you know, b before the season starts. And there are some interesting options in terms of his replacement. Before we get to that, w what loss is someone like Brad Sinopoli to the offense, to the locker room, to the culture, and to, you know, the city. Now, Brad Sinopoli, when you think of team leaders, he's not that raw, raw, you know, go get him kind of locker room leader, but a steady, steady leader. Uh, certainly, they, they talk, when you talk about uh, cliche, doing all the right things. Brad Sinopoli was that guy, not necessarily the motivational guy to push players to go out and, and, and do certain things, but he was, I, I, I don't know, I guess the word, uh, just a steady leader, uh, and certainly his performance on the field, at least heading into 2019, um, certainly one of the best receivers in the league, you know, possibly the best Canadian receiver in the league, and we, we grew to know, that, I mean, that group of receivers, that core of receivers the Red Blacks had for that three or four, or I guess three-year period, with you, you talk about Ellingson, you talk about a Chris Williams, a Deontay Spencer, Brad Sinopoli. There's just no way that really they're anywhere close to that now. And they, now we're hoping for guys to come out of the woodwork, guys we don't know much about, um, to fill that receiving core and to give them that steadiness that, that guys like Sinopoli brought them over the years. 
who are, as people start to get a little bit more familiar with this team, who are some of those names that they're looking to 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 fill that void? Nate Bahar is a name, certainly, that people in Canadian football and Ottawa specifically know as he had a great career at Carleton and now is trying to get his career to the level maybe of Brad Sinopoli in the CFL. Uh, he resigns, so that gives you a little bit of stability, but what are some of the names that you're looking for in terms of making an impact? One thing when we talk about losing Sinopoli, uh, a huge blow to the retirement of Jalen Saunders, uh, who was going to be their number one receiver. You talk about a complimentary receiver to Sinopoli. Certainly, if you have a guy like Jalen Saunders and maybe an R.J. Harris on either side of him, um, th- that's a big bonus. Uh, so Saunders, although I'm not sure we talk about CFL retirements, quote unquote retirement, I'm not sure that Jalen Saunders has really retired. I think he's resting up. He was in a, in a car accident last month. And I think it's more a case, I, I think that's a guy we may see back later in the season. Uh, but we talk about guys that are going to come in. Uh, RJ Harris is an obvious guy who's uh, been there, done that guy with the team. Uh, Anthony Coombs uh, has played for Winnipeg and Hamilton. Probably they're going to rely on him a bit. Daniel Peterman, a young Canadian receiver who showed flashes in Winnipeg of what he can do. Uh, another guy, uh, Devontae Dedman, a guy who you know sparkled on special teams, uh, punt return and kickoff return for a touchdown. Uh, injuries were an issue. A name we haven't heard a lot about, and they had him in 2019, didn't get a lot of opportunity. I, again, I think injuries were a factor, but a guy, uh, Germanic Smith is a guy I think who's going to get a good look. And uh, I mean, they're going to throw a lot of names into a blender. They've got a lot of receivers listed on the roster. And it's going to be a free-for-all. Uh, there's going to be, out of that, they're going to get a core of receivers coming out of training camp. And uh, it's a guessing game right now who the starters are going to be. And with an abbreviated training camp and no preseason games, it will be really difficult to evaluate so quickly. And it will be interesting to see how fluid uh, that depth chart is in the early weeks of the season. And in times like this, you want stability, but... We might as well just call this the retirement podcast because a couple you know, big names also retire along with Sinopoli and Johnny Mason and J.P. Duke. What do losses like that to you know, that culture in that locker room mean for what this team can be uh, in the early stages of the year? I mean, you really, you really said it because you talk about uh, in, a, in a training camp where there is not exhibition games, you're really, you're really counting your veterans. Uh, ideally, you've got a very veteran team. It's not uh, a lot of the younger guys won't get a fair look because uh, you're going to count on your veterans. It's the guys who've been there, done that. The guys who you know what they can do. So losing guys like Danny Mason and 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 Bull Duke, who was a special teams ace, and Sinopoli and, and Jalen Saunders, and, and who knows, you may see more retirements, guys stepping away because they they've just thought about it a lot. They're looking maybe at the restrictions that the players are going to have at least in the early stages in the CFL. And some of them are probably rethinking right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see more, even more players and maybe some name players step away in the next few days. Having said all that, and we, you touched on the East being not as constantly strong as the West has been in the Red Blacks' lifetime. The East 
quickly has become somewhat competitive. The Tiger Cats, last we saw them, were the best team over a large sample size in the regular season and got to the Great Cup and lost. Montreal probably was the hottest team uh, to end uh, the regular season as they were really ascending. Uh, and, you know, this offseason, really over two offseasons, the Toronto Argonauts decided they were going to sign every free agent that moved. What are the realistic expectations and what does success look like for Ottawa in this season in the first year uh, under uh, Paul Apolis? It's. I mean, I mean, as we're speaking, uh, the Toronto Argonauts may have signed a couple of more key players. It just seems <laughs> like, it's, I don't know how they're doing it. And certainly uh, there's going to have to be some financial juggling and, and, and who knows, you're going to have to cut players to make that happen. But you're right, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, were clearly the the class of the East a couple of years ago. Uh, you would expect them to be very strong. Again, a lot of returning players. But you look at the Argonauts, some of the moves that they've made, new quarterback coming in, you've got, uh, you know, surrounding them with, with players who have made an impact in the league. The Montreal Alouettes, uh, Vernon Adams, a very good quarterback, again, surrounded by good talent. The East could be really interesting. This all makes it tough on the Ottawa Red Blacks because you'll look at what have the Ottawa Red Blacks done in the two years. Certainly, the other, uh, I think the Hamilton Tiger Cats are pretty similar to what they were a couple of years ago. The other two teams have made a lot of moves. And if those players live up to their potential, I mean, it's going to be tough for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Are they as, as good as any of the other three teams? I mean, I guess we'll find out when they start playing games. But certainly on paper, they don't look as strong. And finally, I think it's just good to be talking about football and talking about depth charts and how teams look on paper because so long ago it seemed like um, you know we weren't sure when uh, we were going to be able to have these conversations and so I, you know you obviously cover much more than football even though CFL fans know you for your great coverage of the professional game and the amateur game in Canada and I just want your perspective as a football fan as a football dad as well um and, and someone who's a journalist what does it mean that we are getting football back in the near future if everything stays its course on all levels uh back in our country yeah we talk about all those things football fan was first i, I was a toronto argonaut fan um going to exhibition stadium back in the in the late 70s with crowds of 40,000 people. I, I mean, I loved the Argonauts. CFL, for me, was before the NFL. So, I mean, I've long loved the game. And as you said, I've had kids who have, have played at a high level of football. It, it is so good. We've gone through this offseason, this long, long offseason, where, first of all, there was hope last year. We're going to play games in a bubble. And and. and then we got our hopes up and then that was taken away and there was going to be no CFL season. And then we get into the talk. All of a sudden, we're talking about the XFL. We're talking about, uh, you know, will there be a CFL anymore? I mean, the talk went away from the, the 2021 season. It went away from what we've known for so long, which is a nine-team CFL league that we've that we've grown to love. And, and all of a sudden, we're hearing, you know, there were negative things and people going back and forth. And it got away from this. And then finally... We get clarity and we get an announcement that there will be a CFL season and it's going to begin in early August and there's going to be training camps in July. And what a relief. I mean, I think, I think right now uh, we're feeling a lot of positive things around the virus and, and the, some of the restrictions that will be taken away 
and we're hearing about stadiums, you know, in some places maybe won't be full in other places, they're going to be full pretty quickly. And all of a sudden it's a positive, they're positive thoughts. And again, for me, it goes right back to my, my early days thinking about the Toronto Argonauts and Bill Simons and, and then Leon McQuay and, and, and guys that, you know, as a, as a younger football fan, it, it's just come right back for me. And, I, and it, I'm so looking forward to training camp, although it for reporters, it certainly might come, it might be a little bit different, not having complete access to players. But uh, man, football is back. This is, this is really, really exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And, you know, where TD is in Ottawa, it's not just the, the football stadium on a game day. You know, that entire uh, community is buzzing. So it'll be nice to get that back and get closer to uh, some normalcy. And, you know, even down the road, hopefully, um, you know, a little bit later in your cadence of covering football, uh, a, a colder Grey Cup, but hopefully we'll be able to see each other in person and enjoy the great game again this year. Thank you so much uh, for your perspective on the Red Blacks and the league at large. Thanks for having me. Great to talk football. I can uh, I can't wait. All right, Joey, let's break down these Alouettes who last we saw them, 10 and 8, second in the East, hosted an East semifinal and obviously fell a little bit short of their goal, but they exceeded the external expectations for that group. But now we're removed from the 2019 season. And in 2021, I think the bar is much higher. What is the feeling around this Alouettes team maybe going on a run similar to the one the hockey team is on right now? Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, I think... Uh, given the fact that they accomplished what they accomplished. And they were kind of shorthanded, right, in 2019. Like Mike Sherman got the axe a couple days before the start of the season. Uh, Kahari Jones took over. Antonio Pipkin was the starting quarterback until they found, you know, Vernon Adams put it all together. And so, you know, you look at all you look at all of that, and then you look at the roster that they've kind of built up. They've ironed out some weaknesses, especially up front. Uh, on defense. And and I certainly think that this is a team that going into 2021, they should have their eyes on finishing at the top of the East. Uh, I really feel that way. Now, you know, are they as good as Hamilton? It's tough to say just because the last time uh, that we saw both teams, you know, Hamilton was definitely superior, but so much time has gone by uh, that you just don't know. But I think if you're Montreal, I think you're looking at it at at the very least, uh, you want to be hosting a, a playoff game like you did in 2019 but you know i think you have your you have to have your eyes set on finishing at the top of the east for sure yeah it's almost the exact opposite lead up to <laughs> this season right Kari jones just gets the job well into you know the season being kicked off and starting you know eventually they settle on Vernon adams jr as the quarterback now Kari jones has known this is his job for uh, more than one off season his quarterback has been committed to he's clearly the starter he's, he's gotten a contract has had the opportunity to bring the team together and train in the off season it seems like everything is so much more solid at this point but there is some change. New ownership group uh, in, in Danny Machocha. Let's start with Machocha, who's not new to the CFL, certainly, but has brought in you know lots of local talent uh, mm-hmm. I- into the program. What have you made of his stewardship of the program since he's been back? 
Yeah, I think, you know what, you look at the, the body of work and yes, getting Vernon Adams signed to an extension was a huge priority and they did that. Uh, there were key guys on both offense and defense that they needed to bring back. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I'm thinking of guys like uh, Gino Lewis and Will Stanback and BJ Cunningham. Uh, on defense, uh, same deal. They were able to get a deal done with Woody Barron. They brought in key free agents as well at a couple of different positions. And, you know, going into uh, that offseason in 2019, and, and obviously, you know, the, that trickles through to 2020 because we didn't have a season. But, you know, there was, you know, I watched this this team pretty closely and there were certain needs that I thought needed to be filled. And and I think he filled them. You know, he went out and got himself uh, Mondo Sewell, got himself Nick Usher. Uh, off the edge, uh, Mike Wayfield from Ottawa. So they strengthened uh, that part. They got, uh, you know, they got uh, Chris Aki and Patrick Levels back and that strengthens the, the linebacking core. And so I think there's a lot of the things that they needed to address uh, that they did. They took care of a lot of important business. So yes, I really, he's been on the job for over a year now, but we haven't seen the team kind of come together. But I think if you're looking at this squad on paper, uh, I think it's been a real successful tenure for Danny Machocha so far. But, I mean, look, uh, the, the training camp will tell us how good this team is, and the season will tell us the same thing. So, uh, But going into it, I think if you're an Owls fan, you've got to be optimistic because the GM's done a pretty good job. Yeah, and that, for those who don't remember, because it seems like so long ago now, a lot of that success was games that were close and figuring out a way to win, coming back from some huge deficits to have some late-game heroics. And a lot of that was certainly the belief in the team, but also there's a belief that they had a quarterback who would yeah. be able to get them through those scenarios. And Adams Jr. coming back, clearly the leader on field clearly the starter for the first time in his career starting a year where he knows it's his team he's 28 this is going to be his physical prime what is the ceiling for him for the first time in his professional career being told yeah you know you're our guy yeah you know what i think you know watching him work from afar uh, during these two off seasons just kind of following along on social media it, it certainly looks uh, like he's taken the job and, and the reins very, very seriously. And I'll be honest with you. I think if you look back at 2019, yes, it was a bit of a surprise. He, he's always been undersized, but talented. And, and in his first stint in Montreal, you know, people forget this after they gave BC a first round pick to, to get Vernon Adams. He, he got to start the final three games of that season and he won all three games. Did he look polished? No, he was raw. But then, you know, all of a sudden you get traded, you get cut, you start bouncing around. And I guess it was kind of a wake-up call for him because now you see him and he's, he's emerged as a guy who's, you know, vocal and a leader and a guy who's going to take the job seriously. And, yeah, you saw that in 2019. It's a really good point that, you know, there were games where it looked like they were dead. And in years past, without a clear-cut starting quarterback, they probably, you know, don't win in Calgary down 11 points with less than two minutes left. And, you know, in September of 2019, they probably don't come back from 24 points down to beat the eventual Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers at home. Uh, so those, there's definitely a belief around the, the quarterback. There's definitely a belief uh, around the, the head coach slash OC. And I'll, I'll say this, I'll go as far as, as saying this, that I realize that, you know, the CFL hands out an MOP award. But I think if it's the MVP instead of the MOP, I think Vernon Adams Jr. is the MVP of the 2019 season. It's not taking anything away from Brandon Banks and what he accomplished because he was outstanding. There's no doubt about that. But this team just was not the same when Vernon Adams missed time due to injury. 
They just weren't. So uh, to me, he was the clear-cut MVP, most valuable player in 2019, and I think he's going to build off that. Well, if he builds off that, he's going to be in the conversation for the MVP because he's going to put up some outstanding numbers, and he's got the talent around him in terms of guys who can go and get the football you mentioned some of those receivers, Geno Lewis and B.J. Cunningham, you know, two of the best in the league at their respective spots. And they add a guy like Naaman Roosevelt, someone who's made, you know, big plays and big games and is a veteran of the league. You know, is this a receiving core that is not only maybe the strength of the team, but is among the strongest across the league? I think in terms of depth, if, if you look like one through five or six, I think this is a really, really talented group. And I think they'd be, you know, if they're not near the top of the league, if they're not at the top of the league, they're near the top of the league. You know, you mentioned Lewis Cunningham and adding a possession guy like Roosevelt. But, you know, Jake Winicky had a really strong rookie season. You know, he's another possession guy who who came up with some big catches uh, in, in clutch moments. Quan Bray had some legal trouble, uh, but it looks like they've sorted that out. They've signed him to a new deal. And it sounds like he's going to be available to, to start the season with them. And he was unbelievable as a CFL rookie. And uh, Dante Absher is a guy who, you know, might have flown under the radar because he didn't really play much uh, down the stretch in the regular season in 2019. But in that playoff loss to Edmonton at home, you know, they had some injuries there and Devere Posey missed that game. And it was Absher that stepped up and, and made play after play for them. So that's another young guy who... You know, the average CFL fan or, you know, if you're not following the Owls closely, you might not know about. But that's why I'm saying, like, one through six, this is a group of American receivers that are very talented. And, you know, we haven't even spoken about a guy like Eli Rogers, who spent a number of years uh, catching passes for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who's here now. Uh, and maybe they get, you know, Mario Alford was electric returning kicks. Maybe they get him uh, a little bit more involved in the offense. So maybe that helps as well. But, you know, I, I think... From from an American receiver standpoint, they're in a really good spot. They brought back William Stanback at running back, so you're right. I mean, Vernon Adams Jr. not just talented in his own right, but there's there's talent, there's playmakers around him. You mentioned William Stanback coming back. He tried, uh, you know, some NFL opportunities, but he's back in the CFL. It's a guy who, 2018, you know, led the league in terms of yards per carry. To have someone who can punish a, a defense if there's a light box because you have to be aware of that depth in the receiving core, what does that mean to, to, to this offense moving forward? Yeah, but look, this is still an offense, even though – Vernon Adams evolved as a passer in 2019 and he made some strides. This is still an offense that does like to run the ball. And with Stanback, he's the type of guy that, you know, that he's really good in protection. Uh, he's solid in that respect. He can catch passes out of the backfield as well. Uh, he can run you over. Uh, he can run around you because he's got a little bit of speed to him as well. So, you know, this is a guy where if the Alouettes want to stick to their identity, uh, this is a guy who can get you know, maybe 15 to 20 uh, touches a game. You know, uh, I think he can catch passes out of the backfield as well. And, you know, he's he's a safety valve uh, in that respect. So I think getting him back was big. Uh, we've seen, you know, at times, uh, I don't want to say there's durability issues, but there are times where they were a little cautious with them uh, just because they did have, a, so, you know, a quality option and Jeremiah Johnson behind them. But, you know, if you look at the depth chart at running back, it's pretty unproven after standback. You know, the, the big name, that's there is Cameron Artis Payne, and he spent a lot of time in the NFL and, and with the Carolina Panthers. And, you know, he's a talented back in his own right. But, you know, most of the other names on the depth chart as of right now, 
Uh, they're not household CFL names. So, you know, it looks like this could, you know, this could set up if he stays healthy, this could set up for Stanback being, you know, the bell cow, the workhorse, call him whatever you want. But I think he's going to be busy this year. Yeah, he's not a name that maybe we were talking about at length this offseason, but in your various CFL fantasy pools, I think that would be a nice yeah. pick. Um, someone that might, might might produce higher than their actual average drafted value, William Stanback. You're going to feel good, though, uh, at least you did in 2019 in CFL Fantasy, if your quarterback was going up against Montreal defensively because they struggled in terms of stopping people through the air so much so that they were the worst in CFL in terms of passing yards allowed per game, which is why good friend of Kari Jones comes in as the defensive coordinator, Baron Miles, who, if he could do anything as a CFL player, it was flat-out cover. What is your perspective on Miles's imprint proactively on this defense and how they'll be able to address their issue in terms of the Achilles heel on defense against the pass? Yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of their struggles against the pass came uh, because they just weren't getting after the quarterback. And if you look at the sack numbers, it's obvious. But um, even if you you know put the sack numbers aside, because you know there there are times where you don't get credited for a sack, but the quarterback gets hit and whatnot. And, you know, you get him thinking and, and maybe you force uh, an earlier throw on, on one of the next throws. But that didn't really happen in 2019. That was the biggest. Th that's what I was most curious about, you know, how they were going to address that, because that was the biggest need in my mind was up front. And, and I feel like if you solve the pass rush, then I think your secondary and your defense look uh, that much more fierce. So uh, we mentioned it before, but they brought in Armando Sewell for that push up the middle. He's a guy who, you know, I know he's in his mid-30s now, but uh, before, you know, in 2019 and before that in Edmonton, he's a guy who uh, commanded double teams regularly and he, he can give them that push, hopefully, uh, that they just haven't had up the middle. Uh, and the other thing, you know, Nick Usher, that's, that's a big signing. He's got to be able to bring some pressure off the edge as well. And I, I like some of the guys that they retained. I think with Woody Barron uh, coming back, he's another guy. He's a smaller defensive tackle, that prototypical uh, CFL DT uh, that can cause problems on the inside. And, and the other guy I like off the edge is Antonio Simmons. I think he got off to a really good start in his rookie year, but by the time the season was all said and done, he did kind of look a little gassed. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that before getting to the CFL and playing all those games, uh, he also played in the AAF. So I think, you know, you're looking at a guy who played, you know, upwards of 25 games in 2019. So I think it was only normal that he was, you know, maybe a little burnt out. But I think if that unit stays healthy, I think this defense is going to totally change. And you mentioned Baron Miles. He brought a couple guys with him uh, over from Edmonton for that secondary. Guys like Taekwon Glass, who's probably going to play corner on the short side. And uh, Money Hunter, who was... He was likely going to be the starting Sam linebacker before they brought back Patrick Levels. But uh, those are guys that Baron Miles knows. And uh, I think the biggest question mark here for me in my mind is, you know, who's going to play middle linebacker with uh, Enoch Mwamba not back? Uh, so I think that's going to be an open competition. They might have to experiment there. But I think just if the pass rush is, you know, even uh, quite a bit better than it was in 2019, I think this is a defense that has the opportunity to, to be good, really good. And you mentioned the loss of Enoch Mwamba, obviously on the field in terms of leadership, and he goes, you know, down uh, the 
highway to the Argonauts who have signed anybody uh, that they could at this point. Uh, Hamilton, obviously, the incumbent in terms of the last time we were playing football, they represented the East in the Grey Cup and have had some sustained success. And then obviously, Ottawa has some challenges in terms of what they look like on paper. And so we'll see what that plays out. But in terms of Montreal, what is success? How would you rate them amongst what is becoming a quickly more competitive East uh, and what will determine if this season is successful for them? Yeah, look, I think you're 10 and eight in 2019. So you want to take a step up from there. So if you, you know, I think that at the very least you've got to hit double digit wins again. Uh, and if you can do that, then I think you're putting yourself in line to, to host a playoff game. Now hosting a playoff game is, game is great, but you know, you can't be one and done in the playoffs. And I know that sometimes with, uh, group where there's a lot of change, you have to learn how to win. Uh, and you sometimes have to go through these heartbreaking losses. And we saw it was very emotional uh, for Vernon Adams after the Edmonton loss, but it's still, it just seems like uh, the train is headed in the right direction again. And so, you know, I think regular season success, like I said, you've got to hit double digits. If you can surpass the 10 wins you had from 2019 and you get yourself, you know, around that 11, 12 win mark, uh, then I think that's, you know, you've got to be happy with that. Uh, but obviously, that's all. I just caught myself. It's over an 18-game season, so you know you want to prorate it to, to hitting double figures over a 14-game season. But uh, then once you get into the playoffs, you just you can't be one and done. You know you've got to take the next step, uh, and you've got to win a game. And if you can make a great cup, I think this is a team that's talented uh, enough to do it. I think they're confident in their abilities, and I think that the front office and the coaching staff have kind of put them. Uh, in a position to uh, to do that, to accomplish that. So that that's what I'm looking at from from this group. I think it's the first time in a long time where they've had continuity in key positions. It's just a shame for them that as soon as this thing was starting to head in the right direction, uh, there was no CFL football in 2020. So uh, you have to see how long it takes to recapture the magic of 2019. But I, I think this group is talented enough to do it. And part of the reason why they've been able to have some of that stability is because they've got an ownership group that is excited um, and invested and it's a shame that as soon as that ownership group comes on board there's no football for a while <laughs> what is the feeling and the belief in Montreal about what this franchise could be under new ownership yeah I think for the most part it's hard to get a read uh, from the fan base just because like you said you know there haven't been games since uh, Gary Stern and Sid Spiegel bought the team uh, last, I guess that was last January now, or two Januarys ago. Uh, but, you know, every time that Gary Stern's done an interview, he said all the right things. He's committed to Montreal. He's committed to, you know, it seems uh, making the Alouettes, you know, financial, making it this business proposition, you know, financially viable. Because uh, I do think that, you know, before he got here, there was some wayward spending and, uh you know, without having seen the books, I think it's it's one of the biggest challenges for an owner to come in, right? You want to field a competitive team, but, you know, the numbers have to make sense too. Nobody's in it uh, to lose big money. So I think that's kind of probably been their biggest challenge here, but they, they've, they've spent the money. I mean, they spent the money right away to, to lock up Vernon Adams Jr. We know that, you know, there weren't many players in the CFL who got guaranteed money uh, in that off season and, and they spent, you know, a substantial amount of money. So it seems like the ownership group is committed. They've put uh, the, the right people in place, it, it looks like, and Danny Machocha and, and the president, Mario Cicchini. So now it's just, you know, on paper, 
you know, you're just checking off all these boxes. But again, I think, you know, once they start playing games and, and how that, you know, seeing how that goes, I think that's when we're going to get a lot of these answers because that's when a lot of adversity hits and you want to see how, you know, all these people that are now in place and new to the organization respond to that. Well, they're going to be playing games relatively soon. And there's a bunch of players on social media already in Montreal. Some spent the long off season there, but they're, they're filing in, but in a season with an abbreviated training camp and no preseason, Montreal's schedule is set up a bit differently. And I'm interested in your take on is this a pro or a con? Montreal has a week one bye. So again, a little bit of a longer leash to get ready for the real games. But then the games get real right away. Two road yeah. games in Alberta and you get your home opener against Hamilton. But starting the season, you know, very, you know, antithetically for the Alouettes this year, is is that a positive or a negative? Yeah, honestly don't love their schedule, but after not having a 2020, I'm not going to complain about it too much. <laughs> but I think the way it's set up, you know, the week one bye is never great, but even if you look at it beyond that, like you mentioned the first three games, uh, then they go to Ottawa the week after their home opener. So three of the first four games are on the road. Uh, to start and you you said how tough the matchups are and, and I just feel like every, there's not going to be there's no free spot on the bingo card anyway right in the CFL it's you know the parity's always there and and I think the other thing that kind of plays against them is that their second and final bye week is in week six so you know you've wrapped up your two bye weeks fairly early on in the season but you know the fact that you you do play so many road games early what that means is you know eventually you know, the group is going to gel. And once you do start taking off and once you start peaking, a lot of those games are going to be at home down the stretch. So I think that if you, you know, you have to look at it that way, you have to look at, yes, it's going to be challenging early on. And, you know, maybe they don't start the year four, five, six and oh, or whatever, however, you know, the fans envision it. But this is a team that, yeah, you know, you can get off to just a good start, not a great start. But eventually, once you hit September, you want to start taking off because the home games are going to pile up and your team is going to be, you know, peak mid-season form. Um, and, and look, it, it's going to be tough with no preseason games either. But I think that's why, you know, having all those home games in the second half of the year could be uh, could be big for them. But again, the, the two bye weeks early on is, uh, is a kind of a tough pill to swallow if I'm them. Well, and the other, you know, unintended positive consequence of having the schedule set up that way with so many home games in the back end of the year is COVID is real and the restrictions are real. And if you are able to have very few fans or a small percentage of fans at the beginning of the year, and that will obviously ladder up as the year goes on, and it's a percentage of the amount of fans that you can normally have total. We know that Montreal's stadium is the smallest in the league, and so that percentage number hurts even more. So having more games on the back end of the schedule, allowing for restrictions to alleviate means, both for the bottom line, but also for the atmosphere. Um, Hopefully we we see more full stadiums in Montreal, something that the the players, literally one of the cool stories of of watching that team in 2019 was they really fed off the energy of that that crowd and it's like Vern Adams was having an ongoing dialogue with the crowd during games so it'll be fun to see that recaptured but it's been fun to see Montreal as a sports city again and I would be remiss if I let you go without allowing you to talk a little bit about the Habs and what that's meant for uh, the city and really the province um, and what that's been like to cover and really to witness and watch. 
Yeah, man, it's been it's been unbelievable. Like, there's still times where I think to myself, like, Canes are in the Stanley Cup final, and it's just it's so special because um, it it was so unexpected. You know, they got off to a great start uh, once the season kicked off, and then they really went into a tailspin. Uh, they had a COVID pause because one of their players tested positive for COVID, so the schedule became even more condensed uh, once they came back. But it's been it's been a run and look i had i'm not gonna lie to you i had them for dead a lot of people around here had them for dead when they were down 3-1 to toronto but uh once they you know once they figured things out came back beat toronto in seven swept the jets people really started to take notice uh and uh and it took their the the, the appreciation of the run uh, to another level and then you know just beating vegas again it was a surreal moment that nobody really expected the canadians to be in that position the fact that they're in the stanley cup final i mean the atmosphere around here has just been great you're seeing a lot more car flags it just seems like every second car uh has a canadian's flag on it so it's been really cool people are really excited and uh, and uh, hopefully i mean uh, hopefully they can go all the way and they can get the job done but uh, tampa is going to be uh it's a different animal. They're a different beast, and it's going to be tough to knock off the defending champs. But the atmosphere around here has just been unbelievable. Well, every time I'm on social media or looking up at a TV screen, I see a different Montreal athlete wearing a Habs jersey, <laughs> whether it's Lou Dort or Vernon Adams. Yeah. Like if you've ever played uh, sports in Montreal, everyone is is on uh, the bandwagon. And so I'll allow you because you cover not just the CFL but but all sports more broadly the, the next championship and I'm, I, i'll allow you to, to remove the habs out of this conversation but the next championship in montreal where will it be will it be the LOS? will it be the impact uh, will we see uh, the university of montreal uh, lifting a championship in uh, in football uh, no, no disrespect to McGill or Concordia, but I assume it would be <laughs> University of Montreal. Um, what's the next championship we're going to see coming out of uh, Montreal? Yeah, shout out Concordia Stingers, by the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? I think the Owls are in a great spot, and I'm not just saying that because it's the Weigel. I, I really mean that. I, I think that they're, you know, they're set up for success. And obviously, there's fewer teams in the league, so it's you know it's a bit less of a run uh, that you need to go on to come away with the title. But I, I really feel like with Kahari Jones, Vernon Adams Jr., Danny Machocha, and Mario Cecchini, and the supporting cast uh, that they have around them, I really feel like it, it wouldn't shock me if the Owls are lifting the Grey Cup in December. Now, look, it's tough to say just because we haven't seen them in so long, but I, I really feel that way. I really feel like the Owls have a, a great shot of having a parade here this winter, and I hope that that's the way it plays out for them. Well, it, it would be quite a story and if they do it uh, certainly some stingers will help them along the way so yes yeah, shout out concordia uh, we might see a parade uh, in montreal late summer uh we might see a parade in montreal if the alouettes continue to improve in the winter uh the calendar for sports is totally out of whack right now but montreal is happy with it and we're happy to hear about it from you thank you so much and enjoy it Oh, no worries, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Man, I love Joey's energy. First time on the Waggle. Definitely won't be the last time. Appreciate him. Shout out. Uh, he's doing a great job at TSN 690. So make sure you're tuning in and listening. And if you want to give him a follow, it's at Joey Alfieri. That's A L F 
I-E-R-I. That's his handle on Twitter. And give Tim Baines a follow as well. At Tim C. Baines uh, is the handle on Twitter. And, you know, he was playing it down but his son jared was a great player uh in university in canada and so he's doing a great job covering the sport uh as well and we've got the sport covered for you also we're continuing to do these previews if you enjoyed this one you're probably going to enjoy the last one so go back a week wherever you listen to these episodes uh, as we previewed the CFL. One that was really good was episode 268. We previewed not just the Lions, but betting on the CFL. No matter who you cheer for, that one would be interesting to see how betting is going to impact our game in the short and long term. Speaking of long term, next week as we cast our eyes forward, we're going to do the same thing, our last preview episode, and it will be Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. So tell your writers friends, tell your Blue Bombers friends they should listen next week. And while you're telling friends, make sure, like, favorite, share, subscribe. Five stars are the only things that we want. If it's anything less than that, then don't worry about it. But even if it's less than five stars, leave a comment. Let us know what we can improve on, what you want to see. You can interact with us on social at CFL is the handle on Twitter and on Instagram. And at Donovan Bennett is my handle on Twitter and on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League.